We're in hell right now, gentlemen. Believe me. And we can stay here, get the kicked out of us, or we can fight our way back into the light. We can climb out of hell. One inch at a time. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the f difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fans Podcast. It's been a couple of days. This is one of the most hyped sporting events in the last decade. Average ticket prices up there. In some cases, uh, they've exceeded the Super Bowl. And then 33 seconds into the game, the night was over. We're going to try to keep this as genuine as possible. It was tough for us to even get on on the mic this week after, after mm-hmm. that game. But, you know, we can't sit here and uh, wallow in our own pity. We have to face the music. And the good news is that, you know, Zion seems to be okay. Mm-hmm. The season's not over. So let's start with what were your immediate thoughts when you saw the big fella go down? Man, it was it was a litany of emotions, man. There was there's so many things because first and foremost, you're you're you know as a, as a Duke fan and a Zion fan, you're you're worried about the kid and you're worried about his health and well being and obviously the way he goes down and everything else, non contact and all that stuff. You you have no choice but to think, good lord, what's what's about to happen to him? Hopefully, nothing happens to him in terms of major injury, but you know, you just, you don't know, you have no idea. And so then and then it moves from that to good Lord. You know, this is, this is Duke UNC. This is the game he's been looking forward to since he committed to Duke. I'm sure like anybody who commits to Duke, Duke UNC is the one that they put on their schedule, especially in Cameron. Like that's their home floor. It's, it's the rivalry, you know, and then, and then this one, the Annie was upped when it came to how many celebrities and, and presidents and things were in the building, man. And it's like, okay, and and then th- for 33 seconds, for it to be 33 seconds, you're like, this sucks. Like, this is horrible. This is horrendous. Like, who cares what happens at the end of this game, whether we win or lose? You know, hope he's okay. And then, you know, and then the other then the other things start coming into your mind. What was this a mistake for for him to play this season? Because, you know, and it, you know, obviously that crossed your mind for a second with this era of basketball that we're in. And on top of that, is is he gonna come back and play if he can play? And 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 then it's like you know, there's so many things, and so it, it was it was that was it was kind of just a a whole conglomeration of of thoughts and feelings and emotions all at once that just made the game really really hard to watch. Like it was a very difficult game, I'm sure for Duke fans all around to just watch that game. And of course, you know the crazies. Quite honestly, they did a great job rallying and staying behind the team. I, I thought they were excellent and. And, and and the way that they they cheered and everything throughout the night it was it was difficult man it was a hard night yeah the the, the crazies did a nice job admirable job it was kind of like the Syracuse game that you know when Trey Jones goes down in the first four and a half five minutes the mm-hmm. air gets taken completely out of the building felt like it was kind of like that on steroids with just the amount of hype that was around the game yeah uh, my personal feeling you know when I see him go down it, it was very mixed because. I looked at it and, you know, I didn't originally see the shoe. So I watched him, you know, kind of really overextend himself and go down. 
grabbed mm-hmm. the leg, and I, I originally thought he was, he was grabbing his hamstring. Oh, no, no, he's grabbing the knee. Oh, wait, then I see the shoe, and, and maybe it's just the shoe because he, he really did get up, you know, rather quickly after that, right. um, relatively speaking. So I'm like, well, maybe it's really not that bad. And, uh, you know, to me, I was thinking more, okay, you know, he'll, he'll just get a new pair of shoes. He's walking fine. He's hobbling a little bit because, you know, he you know, has one shoe on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, he kind of overextended himself, but he'll be fine. He'll get grab another pair of shoes. And then, you know, when he didn't initially get that other pair of shoes on, you know, because he saw Nolan Smith run out of there pretty quickly to go grab a new pair. Right. Um, And then, you know, then he gets up off the bench and goes into the locker room. And then I started thinking, well, it's obviously a lot worse than just needing a new pair of shoes. So... Mm-hmm. Not to belabor the point, but uh, my thoughts then go from, okay, well, he's not coming back in this game, to is he going, is this a potential long-term deal where he's out for the rest of the year for for Duke? And is his Duke career over? And then, of course, you think, well, if that's the case, then our season's over. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I was. And, you know, for me, I, I just... I, I, you know, I cared about the game, obviously, you know, and we're going to talk about the game right now. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the game. Obviously, you know, the game matters. It's still Duke-UNC, but it was almost like it didn't matter. It was more like, okay, what is the long-term thing here for, for, for Duke and UNC? Um, I mean, for, for, for Duke and, on the season. Right. To me, you know, I was kind of thinking about this the other day, that have you ever had, like, a big... Uh, client presentation like for work and so you go into the week and, and you know at the end of the week you have this big client presentation mm-hmm. and maybe three or four of your, your uh, co-workers that are all in on this presentation but there's one big uh, point there maybe it's your VP uh, that is running the entire program right. the entire presentation you know maybe you, you have one little piece of it and, and maybe Johnny has a a different specialty of this, you know, presentation. But if any questions come out from the C-level execs that you're presenting to, the VP's got this. He, he knows mm-hmm. all, all the answers. Well, you know, you're on your way to this meeting and the VP gets food poisoning and can't make it. So now you're sitting in there and you, you can do the presentation. You generally know what's going on. But without that, right before the presentation, you you're kind of shook and you have absolutely no idea what you're doing. Yep. And unfortunately, I've I've been in that position before. Mm-hmm. And while you think you know all the answers, <clears throat> there's still going to be that shock value. Like, well, you got to say something, Jim. You got to say something. You can't <laughs> just sit there with that stupid look on your face. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt the entire night, where they just never bounced back. Yeah, that and it's that's a really that's actually a really awesome and and good analogy you use there. I uh, I I help teach teach just that you know kind of boardroom presentation and and general negotiations and presentation. That's something that I do as a in, a, in the business world and as as a business of my own. And it's the one thing that we teach people when you're in situations like that. You have to keep it simple and. We didn't keep it very simple, and 
I equate it to, or not equate it to, but I compare the situation to Duke when they were down 22 to Maryland in the final four. Like that, that is, you know, that atmosphere and that moment is as, as big as this UNC game was that, that moment is so big. And th- that Duke team was full of guys who had been a part of final four teams and, and had been in the system, things like that. And, you know, famously coach K throws out the playbook and, and the guys play pickup ball and, and beat Maryland and come back like first and foremost you're not going to beat a team the caliber of that Maryland team by just playing pickup ball like that's not that's not exactly what happened did they throw away the playbook or throw away the game plan sure because the game plan wasn't working clearly but what you do have is you have a group of veteran players who who have some successes to fall back on from things that they've done in the past trapping uh, certain plays on offense that they've run certain quick hitters that they've run in the past that might not have been a part of the overall game script for that game in particular. And, and, and that's what you get when you have a veteran team. And I think this is the first time all season, maybe outside of Gonzaga that I felt this Duke team is young because they had nothing to fall back on. And, and really similar to the Syracuse game in terms of when Trey went down, they didn't have a game plan and they kind of were winging it, but that's what you get when you get veteran players versus, you know, a young freshman like this is veteran guys know how to wing it because they've been through it for a little while and they have, things to fall back on and it works with your analogy because when you have subject matter and things to fall back on you know maybe you're not a vp but maybe you're a senior level person and you can speak on the topic that you're speaking on you know and with fluency it's the same thing in basketball when you can just when you get to a point where you can just play and you know exactly what you're doing with the group of people you're doing it with it flows and you don't have that with a young team yet and that's not to say that this Duke team can't get it or can't earn it or won't do it and when it really matters because we saw the 2014-15 team do it. But this was definitely a case of this team was young. UNC had their veterans ready to go, and they their game plan worked because our game plan wasn't working, and they were able to do what they did, and we could not deal with it. That was plain and simple. As, you know, that, that's what I saw in that game. Yeah, you know, I thought that offensively it was like playing two on five, and mm-hmm. defensively it was basically like playing three on five for most of the night. You know, yep. we, we, you know, a lot of fans focus on the fact that we, you know, shot eight of 39 from three, and that was certainly a problem, especially mm-hmm. when, you know, Trey Jones goes one, one for 11 from the field, Jack White, who hasn't hit a three pointer in over a month. You know, the guy's 0 for 25 since that Syracuse game that can't yeah. get out of his head. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, that was part of it. But to me, the bigger part was the things that had gotten us to this point in the season were completely gone. And that mm-hmm. shouldn't have had as much to do with Zion. There was a lot of defensive communication that just yep. completely lacked. Yep. That's not all Zion. Our nope. transition defense was atrocious. Whether you're new to Duke or have been to, you know, at Duke for three or four years, like some of our players, you know what UNC does. They get out in transition. They get out mm-hmm. there as quickly as possible. And to me, you know, they got – you and I easily could have had 10 points for Carolina. With oh, yeah. Some, some of the easy point-blank looks that they mm-hmm. were getting that were just completely uncontested. And a Their lot of that – shots so easy, yeah. It was insane. They, they were getting whatever they wanted. It was really just Luke May and Cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought Trey Jones actually did a pretty nice job. On right, which White. is funny that you mentioned that because you mentioned Duke was kind of playing two on five on offense. UNC was really doing the same thing. It was really two on five for them because Kobe White was not having his game. Naz Little didn't even play the entire second half. 
you know, the, the guys that they kind of lean on a little bit outside of May and Johnson, just they, they were also non-existent. Kenny Williams, non-existent on offense unless he got some easy look. Like, it, it, it was the same thing. It was 2 on 5 but they're two were just better than our two that night. And not, and not even better in the sense of talent or whatever else. It's just that they their shots were much easier, and, and they did it within the framework of what they normally do, whereas our two, Cam and RJ, were doing it kind of Herculean. They were just – they were creating – individually with their talent what they possibly could get and and good luck if they got it yeah that's the thing is that they had to go one on four you know with the other guy guarding mm-hmm. you know rj or cam yep whereas you know they're putting cam johnson and luke may in perfect spots so while mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily scoring the, the the like you said the putbacks were all there for both of those guys Mm-hmm. It's not like they were raining threes, and neither one of them, you know, Carolina was two for 20. So, you know, it's not like they were shooting the ball well. So, it, it, you know, and uh, how many times did, you know, you always kind of look back at, at games like that and, and you, you want to say throughout the game tape, but how many times can Duke make a mini run, get a steal, and then two seconds later give it right back? Just throw it right away, and, man. And, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't even mean, like, Oh, well, they gave it. No, no, I mean, immediately. Like, yeah. I, I just have this image in my mind of Javin mm-hmm. stealing it and then just throwing it right back to him. Oh, yeah. Javin, Trey. Like yeah, Trey. And did it at the end, yeah. the, the end of the half. The 90 seconds at the end of the first half, to me, really put the game away. Yeah. We, we yeah. had that chance to get it to five at worst seven, and you leave down 10. Mm-hmm. And the sour taste with your mouth, uh, they didn't do anything special. You just right. really screwed it. Yeah, and that that first initial run, Duke was kind of toast, and we were even kind of texting about it, like, you know, can they get out of this? And we were kind of worried about it. And then I was just kind of like Louisville, I was trying to keep some faith, and I was like, you know what, if if they can get a little bit of a, a little bit of leeway and and get just get a couple of of baskets back to back, maybe we'll be okay. And then just like you said, man. All of a sudden, oh, steal! Here it comes, and then right back to Carolina. There it goes, and it's like, and it's not even anything. They were, we were just sped up. Like they didn't even do anything. Carolina didn't do anything extraordinary. It was we were totally sped up, and we were we were sped up. We were tired. We just did not have. We didn't have the juice. So, it, and you know, it is what it is. They outplayed us. They beat us. They spanked us, and the spanking that. Uh, Reese Davis and, and Jimmy Dykes were talking about at Louisville that we didn't really get, but we did get in a way. We got it. To, we got it in Carolina, or not in Carolina, but in Cameron against Carolina. So there it is. So maybe that's maybe that's the one. A lot of the great teams have one of those moments where they can look back and say, "This is the one that did it for us." Maybe this is it for them. Yeah, and you know it's nice to to have that built-in excuse that you know you lose the, the number one player in the country thirty-three seconds in. That's nice. That's cute to have that excuse. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the way you responded, though, um, that's really disappointing. It's really right. disappointing, and and really the the two guys that responded best are your two youngest players. Yeah. So you know that to me that the, the alarming part was the lack of effort or production or response from guys like Jack, Alex. Marquise, uh, mm-hmm. Javin, you know, had a couple of nice moments, but was was really mediocre. If, yeah, if being right. Total, being totally honest, um, you know, J- Jordan Goldwire, 
you know, he is who he is. He's the ninth player on the bench. He's a three-star yep. guy. You know, you just have that image of, me, of him in the second half having a wide-open three. Yep. You know, how many times can you miss it before you just realize, it's you know, not going to fall. It's not going to fall. So I'm, yeah. I'm instead, I'm going to pass up this perfect shot in the corner, and I'm going to drive three steps in, take a harder shot, and then airball it. It, right. it's just, it shows the absolute lack of confidence that he has. Jack is really no different. He's just a bigger player. Um, you know, just, it, it's, it's, it's tough to watch, man. It's yep. tough to watch a team that has, you know, some veterans that just exude zero confidence. And you're, right. you're leaning on you know, your, your, your stars to do absolutely everything for you. Even those great Bulls teams, they had players that understood their role and did it perfectly. And I'm not mm-hmm. asking these guys to do it perfectly because it's a different, you know, game. They're, they're still in college. Sure. But, you know, they, there's zero, zero confidence out there. At the very least, at the very least, you know, and when Cam is having all of his struggles shooting and things, the dude's still playing defense. He's still yeah. balling so hard. Like, at the very least, do that. Like, at the very least, Jack, guard. Like, at the very least, Javin, guard. At the very least, Queese, guard. Like, we talked, we, the, the, Queese has had so many, so many discussions about him lately, about how well he guards away from the basket in terms of picking up switches and things. But the dude hasn't shown a great, you know, a great propensity to be able to guard around the basket the past couple of games. Like he's done a really great job away from the basket, but it's almost like he's done such a good job away from the basket that his defense around the interior hasn't, has kind of suffered a little bit because he's, his mindset is on that, you know, and, and in this game, everything was on the interior. Like, where was he? He's a shot blocker. He can erase a lot of those, those layups, those free layups they were getting, but he wasn't even in position to be able to do it. And so that, that stinks right there. And and so then, you know, I'm, you, you start thinking, like, what can be done? Are there any changes to be made? And you don't want to bench people, and you don't want to start having that conversation because it's so late in the season. And has Kay done it before in the past? Sure, he's had guys step up who barely played all, all season and have stepped up at the end of the year and provided something. But those guys are usually, like, you know, four- and five-star talented guys. But I look at, I look at Justin Robinson and say – is, is he really is he really that bad of a player where he's not as good as like what Jack is giving us right now or what you know Javin gives us at times right now like and he's and it's not like we don't have some bit of game footage and and tape for him to be able to look back and say okay you know Justin can at least do this because he stepped in last year as the sixth man a couple of times when we had um Javin and Quise go down and he he stepped in you know admirably in a couple of games albeit not great teams that we were playing but he stepped in and and fulfilled a role he played defense he hit shots can he really not do that like right now is that you know what what's the deal there like what what's happening there i don't, I don't get it you know i'm not you know I'm not not asking for the bench to extend to 11 people but i'm just saying here's a guy until jack can get back into his swing and you can tell him practice maybe when he's back into it can Justin at least help him out in, in games, and especially some of these games against like Wake Forest and guys like that, where maybe you can actually kind of see him start fulfilling somewhat of a role. I don't know. I don't know. Like, is that the wrong thing to say right now? I don't know, but I, I just, I can't see that Justin Robinson is not at least semi-talented. Like he's practiced with this team for three years now. He's, 
there's something he can add to this team. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not there. Well, you know, to be fair, it's kind of like the Louisville game where Kay's looking down the bench and, right. you know, he, he joins the gold wire because he said he's the only one to have a strong base. Right. At that point against Carolina, nobody had a strong base. Nope. And, you know, other than R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. Right. And, you know, at that point, you're, you're, you're getting beat. Why not give it a shot? See what happens. You know, you can't do any worse. You know, you're shooting what was it, one for 24 yep. from players not named Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't do any worse. No. Uh, certainly you can't do much worse on defense. I, you know, we we made Cam Johnson and Luke May look like they were the Globetrotters and we were the Washington Generals. So right. it, uh, it, was, it was embarrassing on that front. Again, it, it's nice that you have the built-in excuse, but it doesn't do anything for you the next day. But, you know, kind of wrapping this up, uh, it was a huge injury. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that. It took the air completely out of the building. Just be happy that you didn't spend 3500 hours or whoever yeah. that schmuck was. They spent $10,000 to, to go to that game. Um, at least at least you're not there. But let's get to our second pillar of this podcast and get away from this train wreck and uh, enter a new train wreck, which is, the most important Duke injuries, and we've had a lot of them. You know, actually, Man. when Zion went down, and you were on Twitter, running our uh, Twitter page. Yep. I saw so many <laughs> uh, lists of the Duke injuries. Which, by so the way, figured... <laughs> I want to mention, I love our listeners, and I love, I love the people who follow us on Twitter. Thank you so much for following us on Twitter and Instagram. And, and and you know just being a part of what we're trying to create here with the five point play podcast but it's it's gonna be very difficult for me to to want to to live tweet during games again after that unc game because it was just so I, people who can do it good for you it's so difficult to to keep up with the game especially a game that pace and there there's so many plays and things that i missed that I had to go back and look at later because I was like, I don't remember this even happening because I'm I'm down here on my phone trying to tweet something. I'm like, so we'll see we'll see if I live tweet again. But that was that was rough. That was difficult. People who do it, you know, hats off. Kudos to you. And that's not a game that you want to go back and watch. So no, no, just, no. You know, let's just put that one behind us. But you know, so we wanted to put together a list of, in our opinion, the top five. Biggest injuries uh, in, in Duke basketball history, and mm-hmm. we'll start at we'll start at number five. We have Carlos Boozer going down in two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a tough one, man. Because and and you know we we obviously have the the luxury of hindsight right now, so we know that that one didn't turn out as bad as we thought. But when that happened, that was that was rough. That was one of those you're like, holy cow, what this team already only plays about seven guys anyway how the hell are we going to come back and, and, and deal with this loss? Now we're down to six guys. Like there's no way we can do this. And then, you know, Casey, Casey Sanders steps in, goes to UNC, you know, of all teams for this to happen, you know, you go play UNC and, and have the monster game we did in Chapel Hill. And then they go on through the final four rec teams. And then Boozer comes back, you know, famously and, and, and plays amazingly well for, for coming off of injury like that. And, you know, the rest is history there, but, that one was one where you know the, the foot injury to to one of your main your main interior the main interior scorer that you had it, that was tough man because the team had relied on him so much for certain things to help supplement what they did in terms of the shooting and spreading the floor that they did that season 
that, that was rough, man. Casey Sanders is not Boozer. Not at all. <laughs> no, he's not. And neither is Reggie Love. Both of them no. filled in filled in at the best that they could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. I was at the Carolina game, the Duke-Carolina game at Cameron that season, mm-hmm. and we lost uh, in a way that was just excruciating because yep. of all people – uh, Shane Daddy picks. Shane Daddy picks. It's a horrible block, and it's just so unlike him to to make that play. And um, you know, after the game was over, you know, Coach Pay came out to uh, to a group of the the Cameron crazy that was still there. And I just happened. I was still in high school at the time, but I happened to be on the court and just was standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I was standing there was because after the game, a couple of the UMC students that were at the game from behind their bench came out and spit on the Duke logo at center court. Yep. So then a couple of the crazies came out and, you know, clean, clean house, yeah. as they say. So anyway, so I'm standing there and uh, Coach Kane comes out and, you know, talks to those guys and um, has everybody put their fist in the middle and goes, you know, these guys are crushed right now, but, you know, we need you guys and, you're a big part of this season, and this team's going to win the national championship. Right. And um, I still remember it to this day, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. But the point I'm making is, was was that night, and then when Boozer goes down, was it, was it kind of a blessing in disguise because it made Duke retool. It made Kay retool and bring a couple of guys that really hadn't played significant roles come in and at least get that experience where, hey, in a pinch, this is what we need from you. Yeah, I think so. Because what, I mean, what, it, what it forced the team to do was it forced, it, it forced them to let Jason Williams, one of the most talented guards to ever grace the game of college basketball, play, play, play freelance with the ball in his hand. And you saw what he did against UCLA in the tournament that season and USC. Like, he, he was incredible. And you know, he had a, a subpar Final Four, but at that point, everybody else was established. Duhan had nice games in, in the Final Four and National Championship game. Battier was Battier. Like, Dunleavy stepped up so great in the National Championship game. Like, there were, there were guys who didn't – who were kind of just sort of like we have on this team, guys who are, you know, afterthoughts were really, you know, not, not Shane, but, you know, th- those, some of those guys were afterthoughts where, you know, it's kind of the same thing with this team. Maybe this Zion injury does some – there's there's some justice that comes from it, but you know it, that's what happened with that team. They, some of those guys were galvanized because now their roles were what they expected when they came into college when they were being recruited by Duke, and then they got to fulfill those roles. They got to shoot, they got to drive, they got to do things that they like to do, and you know, may, so maybe we maybe maybe we see that kind of open up a little bit for this team now. And then you insert a guy like Zion back, and it's not like it's not like you can't put him back in, and he does the same thing and helps your team. Like whatever you put him back into. He's gonna help the squad, so I don't know. I, th- I think so. I think that that Boozer injury was definitely one of those blessing in disguise type of things. And in hindsight, we can see that, but at the time, there were, you, you couldn't really see that at the time. Yeah, it, it was. You know, the, the the season ended the way the way we wanted it to. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, way before our time, our number four injury, Duke injury on the list, doesn't come from a melee with Larry Brown, but uh, Arn <laughs> Heyman going down in in '63. That was, I mean, he was he was the player of the year. You know, he was yep. one of the best players in college basketball uh, history at that point. So, oh, yeah. you know, him going down and us losing what should have been our first national championship, that one stinks. Yeah, and that that team 
because because that team I believe would have gone on to play the the Texas Western squad that made you know such history, and you know who knows how that game would have turned out, but Art you know, Hame and his career is so incredible, and I, I wish I could speak more about what happened after that injury and you know everything else, but the the main thing is he was injured and was not available and that team yeah that's a guy that you need and in 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 that time period when when things especially when you got to the tournament it was so much more competitive because it was only the conference champions that were making it through that was that was a rough one and for that team to still advance as far as they did was incredible but you can't lose a guy like Heyman off a team like that and and expect them to just be okay and so yeah i mean the the art Heyman injury we had to mention it you know again we can't we're not, not the not the greatest historians necessarily speak on it, but we do know the significance of it within you know, the framework of our history of this team, and it, it, that that is one that you know you hear people who hear people who experienced that back then talk about it in, in the same vein as we talk about Boozer, in the same vein we talk about Kyrie and even Zion now. That that same they, you know they have that same passion in their voice when they speak of the Art Heyman injury. Yeah, you know, R. Heyman was still the MVP of the 63 tournament. Yeah. You know, even, yeah. even though, you know, Duke finished in third. And, yep. you know, the guy, the guy averaged 25 points a game. Uh, he's one of three players in the ACC history to be named a unanimous all-conference three times. Uh, the guy was the ACC, uh, the ACC player of the year, the national player of the year. Yep. Won the Oscar Robinson trophy. So just think about something He averaged like double that. doubles his entire career yeah, in his it, freshman it, it, team. It's insane. Uh, and imagine losing a guy like that in the biggest moment of, of Duke University's basketball yep. program. Yep. And, um, you know, it's just obviously extremely unlucky. And who knows how history would have turned out because we know some of the, the stuff with that Texas Western team that you mentioned. Um, so, so who knows? Um, right. Let's talk about a little thing that we do know a little bit more about. Maybe we, maybe we have to bring Jim Sumner on the podcast and he can talk to us about <laughs> Uh, old Art Heyman, but uh, so number three for us was, and you can really pick which year here, but we're gonna go with uh, 2013. Man, Ryan, Ryan Kelly going down, yep, yeah, right. Good lord, man, that team because that team had established something, they had established an identity after after the, the Austin Rivers experience kind of failed. They came back the following season and were just they were a team like that. That is the, the chemistry is. Like you had the chemistry when people talked about that team, you had the chemistry of past Duke champions. You know, everyone was like, "Oh, this team has that chemistry, that that feel." There's a feel with this team that the you know, the the Shire team had, the the Battier teams had, the Leitner teams had. They might not have had the same talent, but they had the same feel. And that was that was a team that could do just about anything on the court. They were they were able to get the ball to the interior because Mason Plumley was having you know just a phenomenal season and they they could shoot because you had you had Seth now finally in, on his own out on the perimeter not sharing time with Austin or or Nolan or anybody else and he was able to kind of be his own person out there Ryan Kelly was really coming into his own as the player that that was being recruited by Duke you know whose whose mom and and dad were you know famously a part of part of kind of game planning during his recruitment with Kay about how he should be used and, you know, all those things like Ryan Kelly's in here and he's, he's, he's playing and he's doing so well. Quinn cook was having, you know, finally coming out of his slump a little bit. And it was, it was just a really good team. And then Ryan goes down with the foot, man. 
and you're like, God, God damn it. What, what do we need to do? Like, who, what goat do we need to slaughter to be able to have a team fully healthy for a season? Yeah, you know, it's funny because we talked about in uh, a podcast or two prior to this, the, the part that was unlucky for a couple of years ago where you got the draw to go play in South Carolina versus South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Well, Duke got a terrible draw here, because I thought that entire year the two best teams in the country were Louisville and Duke. Not right. only did Duke get screwed out of a one seed, but they were Louisville got the overall number one, which yep. is fine. But then you put Duke as the number two there. Mm-hmm. That is not fine. Duke had already beaten Louisville in, in the uh, Atlantis. Yep, Battle for Atlantis, yep. And I understand that it was, you know, back in the, you know, in November. But to, to put the number one two seed with the number one, and this is actually kind of where the whole realignment stuff yeah. started happening. So um, it was just extremely unlucky. But really, for Ryan Kelly, he he had one of those careers, and even Kay alluded to it afterwards, where he wished that he had redshirted Ryan Kelly yep. his freshman year. Yeah. There really was no use for Ryan Kelly his freshman year based on how that roster was put together. Right. He wouldn't play a whole lot. Um, I don't even know if he played at all in, in the uh, Final Four. So, right. you know, it's just one of those, like, I'd like to have that one back. It's not like he was, and it was, you know, again, during a time where, you know, not as many people were going one and done. Yeah, so. and I don't think his parents, I, I don't think his support system would have allowed the redshirt. And I, I, when yeah. Kay says something like that, and kind of knowing what I know behind the scenes with that, that group a little bit that one was one where that was kind of a sort of a message that was Kay saying I wish we could have done that because because quite honestly he, he there wasn't much use for him on that team and but you know like like you mentioned that that wasn't the appropriate thing to do back then really to redshirt a guy but after you see the success yeah. Wisconsin's had with it Gonzaga some of the other teams now I think the Kellys would have looked at that situation a little better and said you know what okay yeah, retro is not so bad. It's you know, it's it's not the, it's not the slap in the face that it used to be in college basketball. You know, it's not the slap in the face that William Avery thought. You know, when he's sitting in the room with his mom and Coach K after the '99 season, yep. and William Avery saying, "I'm going," and Coach K goes, "You can do whatever you want, but that's not the smartest move." Right. And sure enough, K was right. William Avery's come out since and said, "Yeah, he was completely correct on that." Yep. Um. So you know, again. It's not really hindsight 2020 because he wanted to do it then. Right. Um, and who knows if he had done the red shirt, you know, what that team would have looked like with Jabari Parker and Rodney Hood. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that, that's one where people don't even realize if, if he mean, had done that, uh, that team like, would have been unbelievable. That, that, the, 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 the game where Ryan Kelly came back, the game, his game when he came back against Miami and Cameron, yeah. man. Oh, my God. Like, that's that's just scripted out of Hollywood, man. Yeah. Like, you can't script yeah. it any better. And Ryan Cullen looking at his hand, I still got it. Yeah. You know, after nailing the three. That was one of my mom's favorite players, actually. So That's uh, awesome. Shout out, yeah, so shout out to Ryan Cullen and my mom. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so number two, we have uh, – and I don't even know how to categorize this one. Uh, we yeah. have Harry Giles. Hey, oh, my God, Harry, man. Harry – Harry is it's almost number one for me because like I don't I don't know I, I, like did, did you ever get a chance to see Harry Giles play live in high school no I didn't watching this man play basketball was a gift because the kid was just good and you can see it a little bit now that he's healthy in the NBA like his passing is such an underrated thing and he had that in high school 
like he, he was he he was he's one of those guys that makes his teammates better, but you usually see that from a point guard or somebody who has the ball all the time. Like he was doing it from from the power forward kind of point forward role. Like he, he was just so dominant, man. Like he he's he's who everyone was talking like you know zion's the next one who's after zion good lord who could that be but it it was harry giles before zion like harry giles was so good at basketball and he already had a knee injury once but he came back from it just so so quickly and and just so adeptly like he he added tools to his game while he was injured because he wasn't able to do certain things on the court so he he learned how to shoot a little better he learned how to do this a little better do that a little better and when he came back for his junior season, good Lord, dude. Like, it was like, who, who is going to guard this guy, even in college? Like, who is going to handle Harry Giles? And that team needed that. They needed him on the floor. They, they, people say that team needed a point guard. They wish Tyus had stayed an extra season. They wish we'd recruited, you know, some, some of the, the myriad of point guards that were available that season. They wouldn't have done anything for that team that Harry wouldn't have done. There's no way. Like a a point guard was not necessarily what that team needed. They scored just fine. That team needed a healthy Harry Giles who they could rely on and go to when the pressure was up. Like that is that is just exactly what they needed, man. And goddamn, 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 I feel so robbed not seeing Harry Giles in college like that, man. It hurts me. Like it, 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 like it actually hurts me. It, it, it makes me. It really hurts me on the inside that that we didn't get to see a Harry Giles play at full health in college. It, it really does. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Um, one, you know, they were comparing him to Chris Webber coming mm-hmm. out. And, you know, oh, he's watched, better than Webber. I'm sorry. Right. And I, and I watched, I watched, a lot, yeah, I watched a lot of tape on him. I watched him uh, on, play on TV, play uh, in some of those USA matches that he was a part of. He was dominant. And, yeah. you know, his, his quickness off the floor, his explosiveness, his length, yep. his ability to handle the ball, the ability, yep. <clears throat> the ability to block shots, yep. you know, his uh, ability to get out in transition, all those yep. things that would have made him an absolutely perfect fit for that team. And the team was really supposed, that recruiting class is supposed to be built around him. Yeah. And, you know, he's the one that brought Jason Tatum along. Right. For God's sake, Jason so, Tatum was a point guard in high school. Like we we had our point guard, really. Like if we had Tatum, like it was like it was okay. Like we were gonna be fine. Yeah, huh. it's just it's just one of those things where you just um, it's brutal. And then to get the flash of just a tiny little bit during that comeback yeah. win against Carolina in the ACC tournament, watching yep. him run the floor from a block. That dunk and scream I mean, is one I of my have, favorite plays. Yeah, and I'll tell you something right now. I went absolutely nuts yep uh when that when he flushed that one down because you know obviously a lot of it is it's Duke Carolina it's the big comeback everybody loves that but a big part of it was it's Heron Giles and yeah. you just you wanted it so bad for the kid because he, of everything he had been through ACLs and and I was actually at the open practice um to the start of the season mm-hmm. where it was the next day that you found out that Harry Giles was going to have another surgery. Right. We had been hearing all off season and summer how great Harry was progressing. He basically came down Durham early so that they could get him, you know, with the, the Duke medical staff. Yep. Getting all those sorts of things when he tore his ACL and it was in October of his senior year in high school. So they got him down there quickly and started, you know, getting him back. And he was well ahead of schedule. His, um, 
abilities on Fade 8. He was doing great. They were talking about him potentially uh, being ready for the start of the season. Yep. Uh, you know, he looked awesome in, in workouts and all the measurables. And then, you know, you get there for the open practice and Heron Giles isn't playing, neither is Grayson Allen. Yep. Grayson Allen wasn't playing for, you know, some other foot injury. And you learn later on that Harry is out because he's going to have a cleanup on the original ECL. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, a set the tone for what that season was going to be. And yep. I would just like to, have, I mean, that we were robbed uh, as Duke fans, oh, yeah. you know, a, you know, a program, we were robbed of one of the best talents that has come through the ranks in the last 30 years. Yep. If we're being totally honest. Yeah, no, we we really were, and his his situation was uh, everybody's kind of freaking out right now about you know how many people are coming out telling Zion to never play college basketball again. His Harry's situation was really one of the first high profile ones, and the really the first one I remember Jason Williams really coming out as you know the player advocate about when when he came out and and said on national TV Harry Giles don't play for Duke basically you know what I mean like he had already gone through half the season not playing. It was like, what are you really going to add? And what are you really going to do? You're just going to hurt yourself again with this history of injuries you have. And, you know, he, he comes out and doesn't get hurt and, you know, kind of keeps his draft stock where it was going to be anyway, but you know, no harm, no foul, really. He played and we got to see some of Harry Giles, but we didn't get to see the guy. We didn't get to see him. Yep. It's unfortunate. Uh, and speaking of unfortunate, another game I was at, uh, our number one injury. You got to stop going to games, man. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Stay away. Um, yeah, well, you know, I also went to the uh, last couple of Final Fours. This is true. Um, so this is yeah, true. That worked out pretty nicely for you. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you right now, if you want to be there too, you better start start being nice. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but our number one is obviously Kyrie Irving in 2010-2011. You know, the Butler game up in the Meadowlands. Uh it was sitting in the stands, it, it didn't look like much. Like, I, you mm-hmm. couldn't even tell. And so I, you know, I didn't get much of it. Then he obviously comes back in the game. You know, like, oh, he must have just rolled an ankle or something. Right. It wasn't that bad. And he, he played pretty well uh, after he came back in. So you didn't right. really think anything of it. And then you kind of, you know, infamously, you know, hear, you know, the most ambiguous explanation for what the injury is and then when, how, when is he coming back. Right. What is he come? Is he like a, is he like a, a week, a month? Oh, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? When, when is he coming back? Yep. And then you just kind of start realize, well, is he coming? Uh, he must be coming back this week. Well, we got Carolina this week. He's coming back for that, right? Every week. You know, it was it was literally every single week. Is he coming back? Yeah. Well, we're not. We don't know yet. Well, we heard that he's progressing here and he's in the pool. He's doing this. He's doing that. And you see him yep. on the sideline. He's like jump around on the sideline. He's just like, what what is going on here? Yeah. And then, you know, Kay uh, famously brought him out for warm-ups in the uh, ACC tournament final uh, against Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of my favorite mind, mind fucks of all time by Kay. <laughs> you know, he, he was never going to play that game. But, mm-hmm. you know, for Carolina to look over and see Kyrie Irving going through, uh, through pregame warm-ups, you know, and then they got the story going off him right. uh, with Nolan Smith leading the way there. So... But yeah, no, I, you know, Kay's talked about this a lot. That you know, that Kyrie injury, he believes, and and I, I absolutely believe this as well. That that team had as good a shot as any team 
to to go in, to go in undefeated. I I really truly believe that. Yeah, that the the Kyrie injury, and that's in it's you know it's number one on our list when we kind of made individual lists. I think it was number one on both of ours, and for me, it it hit number one not only for the impact that it had, but the the amount of debates that came out of his injury between between Kyrie watch between was this did this team end up better not better off than they would have been but just would they have been better off if he did not play in the tournament that that debate that happened the debate of would this team have gone undefeated the debate of can you include Kyrie in terms of some of the most talented and best players in the history of Duke because he only played 11 games like there's there's so many wild debates that came out of his injury it's unreal like the the storylines that were attached to this kid and once again you know it, it, you know you get a high profile program like duke and you get these uber talented kids that come out of high school and play you get these debates you get these discussions and and his his injury created so just almost an endless amount of discussions like there's so many things like did did nolan play better with Kyrie off the floor because that, that was a thing that Mason Plumley, he was having he was having an all ACC type of season with Kyrie on the floor and then he was gone and then Mason was kind of back to the Mason we had before but then they learned how to deal with it. What what was the effect on Kyle Singler because Kyle didn't look like himself. Like there were so many things that season man and it was just and but with with the guys that they had and with the talent that Kyrie had that that team yes that that team would have gone undefeated and and it, it, because not only did you have the freshman star, but you had senior stars as well. So those those games where you need veteran leadership to shine through, you had that ability to have that. The games where you needed just sheer talent, you had that with him on the floor. Like it, it was, God, God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> it sucks, man. I, I let it, it out. Sucks. Let it out. It really though. sucks. It sucks year in and year out. To, to have these types of injuries and it just sucks it really does it just sucks to just to just be robbed of seeing something because i don't i don't remember i don't remember you know, christian Leitner doesn't go down with injuries like grant hill doesn't go down with a bunch of injuries in his time at duke like like why are these guys going down so easily and so quickly like what is happening well, that, like ugh. yeah that's a, that's that's a debate for another day too you know right. the, the history of uh, foot injuries with duke that's the first so, time I remember, you know, vehemently arguing with people in person and online about switching shoe brands, like because because of the amount of foot injuries we started having. And then you know, a couple of years after that, it's like, oh god, the Nike debate here it comes again. Like, it's seriously, man, it's like, what? Why is this happening to Duke in particular? Like, why does it seem like it's happening to Duke always? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an annual tradition of watching uh, Duke basketball players yeah. walk around campus with boots on. We joked we joked around about it, you know, joked as much as you can find levity in, in the game that happened at UNC. We were like, okay, who get like let's start taking a pool on who gets hurt next year. Like what 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 guy gets hurt next season? Like it's like, God damn it, man, why does this keep happening? Uh, I don't know uh that that is above my pay grade, but I will say that Kyrie, um, you know, in, in the debate of whether they should have brought him back for the tournament or not, I think there is no debate there. You have to play him. If, you do. You, you have to. You have that you type have of talent, and you, you see what happens. And by the way, we wouldn't have beaten Michigan in the second round if Harry Irving's not there to save the That's day. That's true. That's true. So That's like, true. don't even talk to me about the Arizona game, where you know, everybody likes to point to that game, where you know, first of all, uh, you know, yes, Norm Smith played poorly. 
that was probably his poorest performance of the right. season. Uh, Kyle actually played better than he had all season, all season long. Yeah, and then Kyrie dropped what, thirty-one or something like that. Thirty-one or but thirty-four, you, or one of the two. Yeah, something like, something like that. And you know, you can't prepare for Arizona just shooting their lights right. out. You can't prepare for that. And right. you know, another you know, everybody talks about you getting the easiest road. We were out in out in California. We were out in the West. You know, the ACC tournament champions. Um, that was pretty much the number one team all season long. Somehow ends up out west. I don't. I don't really know how that works out. Right. So, um, you know, that's another one. But um, that was our list. Do you have any? Uh, since you have so many, and I can hear the passion in your voice, <laughs> what, what were some of the honorable mention? If, if that's even the right word to use, right. honorable mention. Injuries. Yeah. This dishonorable mentions. So. So, Brand, when we were making our list together, you know, there there are certain ones that came up and we we're debating to do a top 10 list, a top five list, whatever, whatever. So, you know, we have these honorable mentions, so we won't go into too much depth about them. But Alton Brand going down his freshman season with the foot, once again, a foot, you know, he was having such we talked about it last podcast, so we don't need to go into it ad nauseum. Had such a great season to start and for him to go down when he did was really unfortunate for that team that was relying on him as uh, Seth Curry, his to start the season with his calf injury the way he did um, and, and just to not be the player that you had seen him be at Liberty where he was able to take people off the dribble and, and, and create his own shot the way he was able to, he was kind of turned into a standstill shooter, which still was highly effective after a while, but it, it wasn't to start his time at Duke. Uh, and, Coach and, K. And, well, well, go real ahead. quick on, on Seth Curry. Remember mm-hmm. he didn't, he wasn't even able to practice that entire season. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, famously, Kay said he wasn't, you know, Seth is not a part of practice. Like, we have, you know, he had walk-ons basically pretending to be Seth Curry. I, 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 I don't, you know, the, the walk-on fails me, the name that he, he said he used a lot, but he was even wearing, you know, Seth Curry jerseys in practice just so they would see the number 30 out there because, you know, that, that was the guy that was, that was going to be on the floor even though he didn't practice. Um, uh, Coach K going down to 95, like a team that desperately needed – their leader and you know no no disrespect at all to peak of that but you know it's it's not the same and who knows how that team would have turned out with k on the floor i i certainly don't think they would have been the bottom feeder in the acc that they turned out to be but you know i, I don't know that they would have been a national champion type team but it certainly would have it certainly would have been a team to to at least be a little bit reckoned with they had they had good talent good players um yeah, that was unfortunate. You know, then we keep going. Jason Tatum, his his injury to start the same season as Harry, like to have those two go down together was just horrendous. And, you know, it, it obviously ended up fine for him because he had a great end of the season. But to to start the year, it, it, it sucked to, to be on Jason Tatum watch, kind of the same way we were on Kyrie watch. Bolden also going down in the same season when you hear stories about him and Duke's ever first pro combine that they were holding at the school and, and Bolden was grading out as the second best player behind Luke Kennard because Jason Tatum had to sit because that's when he got hurt during that combine. And and so everybody's like, oh man, this Marquise Bolden kid, watch out for him. He's he's number two behind Luke Kennard in terms of potential pros on this team. I you know, I threw in the the Daniel Ewing finger injury because I, you know, we talked about it again last podcast. I fully believe that the 04 team needed Daniel at his full strength. And at that time, Daniel was amazing down the stretch. And to have the, the pinky injury on a shooting hand and the way it happened was just, it was such a deflating thing to see. And it was so subtle, but it was really deflating. 
But those are kind of the, the honorable mentions of that. You know, we don't need to belabor the point. This is dude gets injuries. Every every school has injuries. Everybody goes through it, and you you have to be able to deal with it. And it just really feels like Duke has had to deal with it more than a lot of other teams. I don't know. Maybe I'm just because I'm a fan of Duke. I don't know. I don't I don't feel the same way. Virginia Tech doesn't have the same injuries happen to them all the time every year. Like it just feels like it's I don't know. I don't. Know. It just feels horrible. Well, it's certainly you know it's a good segue to our next pillar, which is anytime Duke loses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anytime Duke has a major injury, what happens right after that? You have Hot Take City. Hot Take and City, that, making a return. And, that, and it was Hot Take City from every radio pundit, every sports morning show across the nation. The takes the were hot every, this week, boy. It, it was, I, had the op- I had to open the windows, and it was snowing all Wednesday. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to open the windows, get some fresh air in here because I was sweating from all the hot takes. Uh, and we're going to go through a couple, a couple of our favorites. And I want to start right out of the gate, one that mm-hmm. we kind of alluded to before in this in this podcast, which is Zion Williamson should sit down for the rest of the season. Right. That to me is so beyond over the top that, you know, yes, I understand the logic behind it. Yes, mm-hmm. I get it. If he, you know, goes out there and re-injures himself, it could cost him millions. Okay, well, what's different between what he did Wednesday night versus crossing the street earlier, you know, that day? Or, you know, what happened the other 24 games that he played? You know, what happened? Uh, why, why even bother coming to college? Yeah. And if you're gonna if you're gonna limit it to Zion, why don't we open this puppy up? You know, because right. that's where we're at in 2019 right everybody's a bunch yeah. of pussies you know you know they're talking about nick bosa from ohio state right sitting out the rest of the year leaving ohio state and then going to work out somewhere else because somehow ohio state doesn't have the best football facilities in the country <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me so then yeah. we have you know it's really a football and basketball argument right but let's let's, let's keep it to basketball right so you know, because I, I do understand, uh, you know, we have a lot of players that sit out in bowl games. That, to me, makes total sense. That is a completely meaningless game at the right. end of the season unless you're in, in the playoffs or in a big bowl at the Rose Bowl or something like that. I, I, com- I completely understand, and truthfully, i probably do the same thing. I would advise my guy to sit, sit out, especially in a violent sport like football. Right. When it comes to basketball, though, okay, well, what's different between Zion Williamson and – uh, the number seventeen prospect that right. is projected to go in you don't uh, even any have to look top that twenty. Yeah, I mean top twenty. I mean, I I, I put in quotations first round guarantee because you really don't know. Sure. But really, if, if if you if you do know for sure that you're a first round lock, why are you playing? Why don't you just sit down? Like, what what, what do you have to gain other than the love of the game and why you came to that particular school? And for the, the goals that you set out for this year, which may or may not have included, you know, upping your stock. And by the way, you know, before we get too far down that point of it, don't, you know, I get Desire Williams who came in with, you know, 1.5 million Instagram followers and he was a, a, a freak of nature. But don't, don't think for one second that Zion hasn't benefited from being at Duke. Absolutely. You know? Don't don't think that you know him being on ESPN and she, yeah he he probably would have been on ESPN but to the extent that the Duke brand pushing that behind it right. is isn't is, is, you know, that that combination 
is something that you won't see anywhere else in all of in all of sports. You a, have the, the biggest brand with the most polarizing program. Put those two together, and it is content explosion. Yeah, there, and there's a huge difference between occasionally showing up on Sports Center top ten, dunking on a couple of high school kids, and being the lead story on you know on, on Sports Center every night or or whatever. Na- name name the ESPN show, and they're putting Zion's face as 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 the cover boy for their their particular show, and it's really disingenuous for me to hear you know these same pundits saying now now that they've made their money and gotten their ratings and signed their new contracts solely based on Zion Williamson and now they're saying shut it down we don't need you anymore like shut up <laughs> like stop it because cuz what so now we've had we've had the UNC game and how big that was um, imagine you know just let's look at it from a selfish standpoint let's put Zion Williamson and lights over top of the NCAA tournament like good lord the 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 one shining moment package is going to be a Zion Williamson highlight you know what i mean like cuz that's that's what's good for that's what's good for everybody he he is what's good for everyone and and it's it's really sad to hear you know the, these people kind of say that i i don't mind the, the nba guys are totally different because they're not the ones really putting it out there so they can say whatever they want like scotty let's go you know, all credit to scotty pippen for being the first one to come out and and say it cuz he was bragging about that this week he was saying it before the injury. That was his big, his now Scotty Pippen is famous again. Like congratulations, congratulations Scotty. Congratulations, Scotty. <laughs> right. Somebody was going to get injured. Right. But like, 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 I have a question and I don't mean the country off, but this no, no. really boils me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Atlantic city, but it's to me, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to bring up something that's too, so we, we need to cut this off by all means, but Jason Williams got hurt in a freak motorcycle accident. Why can't that happen to Zion Williamson when he's, you know, going to pick up groceries or going over for shoot around? What and happens if he just gets hit by a bus? Like, like you're, his injury was a complete non-contact fluke. That can right. happen in practice. That right. can happen when you're walking down the steps. You know, and Dustin Johnson, you know, quote unquote, fell down the stairs the week of the Masters and he was the favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm hearing some other things that Dustin Johnson might have been doing, but let's just be honest here: like things happen in life. And, and who's benefited more? And so, what, what, what's he going to do? Is he just going to sit in a bubble wrap, right, for you know, 12 months until he gets drafted? And then, what and happens it, if he goes and plays summer league? And you know, he, he right his is he supposed to sit out summer league? Right, that's the I next question. Is, is he supposed to sit out? the the beginning of the season because the beginning of the season is pretty pointless in the NBA. Like the first, the first two months in the season, the NBA are really are, are essentially preseason games. Is he supposed to sit those games out unless they're playing the Celtics or Lakers or whoever else that's, you know, the big marquee name, like, is he supposed to sit those games out? Like when, like when does, when does the debate stop for sitting games out? Is it when he signs his contract and now it's okay for him to get hurt? Like, cause, cause that's the selfish part about it. And, and Jason Williams, who's benefited more from Zion Williamson this season than Jason Williams? Because after Kentucky, when everybody was glowing over Zion, Jason Williams was the first one to kind of be like, uh, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm the jury's, the jury's kind of out on, on Jason Williams or on Zion Williamson. I don't know yet. And, you know, he's, he's starting to do his, his thing, his, his character that he's developed on ESPN of I'm going to be the anti guy. 
I, everybody's saying this, so I'm going to say this. Everybody's saying that Jordan's the best player, but I'm going to say that LeBron could beat Jordan nine points out of ten and one on one. Like I'm going to be that guy. So it it's it's disingenuous. And then and then to to throw on top of that, all season now. So Zion's played all season and. He's done the right thing, and everybody says he does the right thing because that's what they mentioned when they say Zion Williamson. He's done the right thing when it comes to saying, I want to win a national championship with this group of guys. So now he's been saying that all season. How does that look for him? Like, it's so selfish people say Zion set out. How does it look for Zion? Is it, uh, you know, all season I've said I want to win a national championship with my guys, but I'm going to shut it down. Like, that – because now, now the same people who are telling him to shut it down are then going to pick on him when it comes to the tournament and say, 100%. where's Zion Williamson? Because he said all season he, he wants to be there for his guys. It, so, and what, you know, what are, what, uh, are GMs, what are GMs going to think about his personality now? Is he just about himself or is he really about, you know, the team? Like, especially because it's so new in college and, basketball and they will and they will, they will spin it both ways absolutely uh, and then and then and then nobody's saying rj should shut it down nobody's saying cam should shut it down nobody's saying ja morant should shut down everybody oh i need i need to see ja morant play some more he's amazing let's watch ja some more like yeah like nobody's telling those guys to shut it down so again like it's frustrating you know, talk about, yeah talk about knocking a little for a second you know the the other side of this Heimsen should have been, he should have just never played, right? Because he was projected to be a number two or number three pick in the draft coming into the season, and because of his subpar performance, for the most part, didn't even play in the second half, and there's rumors about why that might be. Yep. Uh, But, you know, he's regressed in terms of where his draft stock is, so maybe he should have just shut it down. Right. He shouldn't have have played all year. Yeah, because the difference between picks – you know, the difference between the fifth and fourth round or fifth pick and the fourth pick is about $7 million, which sounds in, in the terms of an NBA contract doesn't sound like much. That's a shitload of money. Difference between the fourth pick and the second pick is upwards of like $16 million. Huge amount of money. And then to be the number one pick, because when you're the number one pick, you're almost guaranteed a second huge contract. It's like, dude, like the money is, it's mind blowing how much money is to be made just by being, you know, a certain numbered pick. And so the the more we get to see you, the better. And there's so many people who have questions about Zion's jump shot and everything else, and they're going to say the same thing when it comes to NBA draft night. They're going to be like, oh, well, Zion shut it down, so we didn't get to see if he could shoot. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same – it's the same – the same people are going to be saying – they're going to spin a different story in two weeks if he shuts it down. They're going to they're gonna tell a totally different tale. And it, it's just really disingenuous because they have all – all of them have benefited from his presence in college basketball this year. Every only, single one of them. The only person that hasn't benefited, R.J. Barrett, because yeah. Zion Williamson was not the number one nope. consensus, consensus nope. number one player in his class and player in uh, in the NBA mock draft coming into yep. the season. And as great as R.J. has played, plus the Duke Hunt machine behind Zion, Zion is now the unquestioned number one player in, in the draft, and, and RJ is number two. So, so you know, and, and really there were a lot of mock drafts that had Zion three, four, and even some uh-huh. places five. So you don't think the Zion benefited from playing yep. in those 24 games? Absolutely. And what's the, by the way, what's, what's, real quick, what's the magic number of games that I need to watch somebody play before I say, right. hey, okay, now shut it down. Now I know. Now yeah, shut, now you yeah, shut it I down. saw that, I saw that uh, 360 windmill against Clemson shut it yep. down, but, 
So again, yeah. I hit for me, it's like walking away from the blackjack table. Right. When you're up, you know, you, know, you got to know when to walk away. Uh, I guess that's the, the, the theory here for, for college athletes now. Just you know, quit on your team, go in for the night, you got your chips, uh, and, and just, just, just pack it up and leave. That shows that's- a lot of great characters. And talking about talking about all about me, like, yeah. you know, I understand if there was, and if there may be, you know, residual effects from, you know, this twisted knee. Right. That's one thing. And, and that's actually why they held him out to begin with. There are stories coming out that said he wanted to come back in that game. Yeah. And they held him back. Both the yeah. staff he didn't, he and, wasn't even in the locker room at halftime. They wouldn't even let him go to see the team at the at halftime locker room. Because they knew he wanted to go back out there. Right, right. And so, you know, and, and you heard R.J. Barrett talk about it after the game where he's... You know, and I'm, I'm what a consummate teammate he has been. And I, I am going to cuss, so if you have kids listening to your podcast, go ahead and mute it right now. But get the fuck out of here with R.J. Barrett is selfish shit. I am so sick of hearing that, and that's... Oh my! It, it that that pisses me off. That's one of that's become a huge pet peeve for me because this kid has been nothing but a great teammate. So anybody out there who right now, if you're listening to the podcast and you've said RJ Barrett is selfish, fuck you. Seriously, I'm pissed about that. I apologize, but keep continue. Wow, I don't know how to follow that, Mom. I'm sorry <laughs> for listening. Um, yeah, no, I mean that's that that's kind of another hot tip though, right? You know, people yeah. were talking about, and I and I actually saw a lot of this coming into the lead up to the game where. Well, if we do, you know, if we do this, we'll win. If we do that, we'll lose. And and one of them that kept popping up, yep, uh, is well, as long as RNG doesn't go play hero ball. You you t- you got my hot take. And, and I I go hero ball. Did you did you not just see what he he just dropped a triple double with zero turnovers? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the guy does everything. If we don't have him against Carolina, we lose by fifty. Which you know, is why we go back to three podcasts ago when we picked him as our number one player, one of our number one players, most important guys on the team. Yeah, and and don't think I didn't think about that. I mean, th- if if he does everything out there, mm-hmm. and he is double and triple team just as much as Zion is, and people don't even realize it because all they're doing is watching Zion. He right. draws so much attention, and we'll talk about our predictions for the next couple of games. But it's going to be interesting to see how K uses them against yeah. that zone, just because. You know, normally you have Zion there and you let RJ be around the perimeter. Now it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But I'll let you take this one because it is your hot take. You know, calling it hero ball this far into the season because of what you saw for the last 90 seconds against Gonzaga. Right. I mean, come on, man. And and, and the other thing. It was November. And that's what people are basing it off of. Oh, my God. And the other thing that pisses me off. And, and this is going to be a prelude to my next hot take, mm-hmm. is the hypocrisy of blaming or, or selective blaming on the coaching staff. Yeah. So you blame RJ for playing hero ball, but then you give Coach K a pass, or sometimes you blame Coach K saying that, well, he put RJ in that position, which I believe. I believe he put RJ absolutely in that position. Did. At the of end course of that he did. It's November, game. and they didn't have anything it's November. Yeah, out yet. You don't know it. You don't, yeah, you don't know what you got yet. And, so and then everybody the said Zion, get the ball to Zion because he was having such a monster game. Zion couldn't fucking move. He couldn't move because he had just played three games and he had cramps full body. He couldn't move. No, you don't put Cam Zion Reddish in that situation. Had, Cam Reddish had just sat on the bench for 10 minutes pretty right. much the entire second half because of stupid plays and foul trouble. Right. Trey Jones can't shoot. Can't, Correct. You know, it's, it, there is no other option. Correct. 
and 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 RJ is so good at drawing fouls, and he should have drawn three fouls in that last segment at some point. And but then people say, oh, but he wouldn't have hit his free throws. Shut up, shut up, shut up. The kid does nothing but step up when he needs to step up. Sorry he missed a free throw with six, 16 minutes left in the first half. I apologize for RJ because he missed that free throw. Like, shut up. The kid has been nothing but a professional and, and a consummate teammate for this team. And and all week we have heard, oh, as, as long as RJ doesn't try to take the game over, well, guess what he ended up having to do? Take the game over to the tune of 33 points, which went solely unnoticed because and of how 13, bad that game was. Rebounds. Like when nobody he had else, it, it, and nobody else on our team wanted to get dirty. What an incredible game he had. He fought and fought and just ran and ran and was incredible that UNC game. I'm sorry for the people who dislike how he plays. RJ was amazing that game. Shut up. All right. If we lose some followers because of it, fine. I don't care at this point because I don't want you to follow us if you think RJ Baird is a, te- a detriment to this team. You don't need to follow us. You don't need to listen to our podcast anymore. Shut up. The wow. dude is going to be wow. the reason why we win a national title this year. R.J. Barrett is the reason we win a national title this year. I'm putting it down. All right? Zion, everybody else aside, if we don't have R.J. or we don't have a good R.J. throughout the entire six games of the NCAA tournament, we do not win the thing because the guy is so good. That's how good he is, and that's what he offers because he, so, he does so many things on the floor between steals and playing defense. People who say he's a bad defender, shut up. All right. Between rebounds, he's been on an amazing rebound streak the past six or seven games. The assists that he's gotten, people talk about how he didn't pass the ball. He was the second te- the leader, second leader in assists on the team with four point five through December, and the numbers only gone up. So he gets assists. Like the the dude does everything on the court. When Trey went down, he stepped up in the point guard role, which people said they didn't want to see. Oh, I want to see it should be Cam instead. No. It should be RJ because he's the one who can do it. Cam can't handle that mentally and physically. RJ can. The dude's solid. He's strong. He's good. Great. Excuse me. He's great. He's not good. He's great. Like, shut up. I'm done. He's having one of the most historical great seasons in ACC history. And it's unfortunate it's behind Zion. Right. And And it's not just freshman season. It's just seasons. In ACC history, and he's been uh, nothing but amazing with Zion. Like, like with all the pro- and, and Duke fans who who don't like him, the hypocrisy. Because last year, with how how selfish that team was last year, and how notably selfish that team was last year, and then you have a kid who is probably being his, he's being costed money because he is behind Zion, and but yet he's still leaping ten feet into the air when Zion's doing three sixty dunks. And and everybody loves it. Everybody's counting how many high fives RJ's given as he comes off the floor. Like, shut up. Wasn't that a thing last? Wasn't that a thing last year uh, where they were counting like how many high fives somebody did? Facetiously, yeah, it, it was funny at the time, but then it became something. Like, but then yeah, right. it was so unfortunate actually- because that team was like. You know, not 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 to not to talk bad about dudes that you know we weren't there with and and going through what they went through on their season and everything, but it it was it's it's famously and notably a a, a little bit of a selfish team, guys who were kind of worried about their draft stock and and how can you not be justice Justice Winslow was worried about his draft stock until people told him you're gonna be fine if you just play if you just play for this national championship caliber team you're gonna be fine and he was. Like, yeah. and, and that's what people need. And, you know, kids end up figuring that out. 
And it seems like this team has figured that out. Like Cam, everybody talks about how all, and it, you know, they, they presume to feel that Cam has felt a little slighted because RJ and Zion get all the headlines. And no, and they throw RJ, they, that's when they throw RJ in is when they want to say that Cam is feeling slighted because they don't talk about RJ before that. Like that's the only time they talk about RJ is to, to slight Cam. But, you know, they say that and it's like, no, no, Cam is going through his own race. It's, it's a different story there. It's not, he's not jealous. He's not missing threes because he's jealous. That's right. not why he's missing threes. So, so stop. So it's like, no, no, I'm done. I, All right, I'm done. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to get to my next shot. I'm going to get to yeah, my next please. shot. Please. <laughs> go grab, go grab a Gatorade, get, you know, smoke a cigarette, whatever you got to do. Uh, but I'll tell you, on that, on that last note, I, I what really bothers me, and it's going to play into my hot take, is how people, how often people will step on one guy to elevate the person that they're trying to make look like mm-hmm. a better player. You know, you don't have to do that. Sometimes the guy, the player themselves, just makes the jump. You know, he, he does what is necessary. You know, some guys just don't. Whether it's caving to the moment or their abilities just aren't there or some other reason. It, mm-hmm. You know, there's a myriad of reasons. And, you know, I'm a player that, you know, I was a shooter in high school. My coach took all of my confidence away. Mm-hmm. I am one of a million people that can say that from their high school mm-hmm. careers. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it happens. But it wasn't for anything that, you know, oh, well, so-and-so did this, and that, that's the reason that, you know, because Jimmy was down, uh, this guy got elevated. No, it's just because I didn't make shots. Right. And that's just kind of how it works out. But, you know, my hot take is, and this happens every season, after every loss, sometimes they don't even wait to, to see the loss. They say it at halftime that, you know, so-and-so uh, is losing this game because or lost that game. Well, didn't you see this guy? He obviously is developed under this system, and, and we don't develop players. That is uh, – that argument might be my R.J. Barrett for you. Like, it, it mm-hmm. is – it annoys the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens every single season it happens every single time we lost you know we're 23 and 2 coming into the game 11 and 1 alone in first place in the ACC but as soon as we lose even though we have the best player in the country go down all of a sudden now it's back to the you know fallback argument oh well Duke doesn't develop players mm-hmm. you know we don't develop it's so weak that <laughs> you know it gets a, a just a response of you know, well, what about this guy? You know, referring to Luke May, he he obviously you know developed. Right. Uh, you know, or that or that guy didn't, as if you know one person makes the the entire argument valid or invalid. It, it to me is extremely annoying. Mm-hmm. And I'll point to Jack White as the perfect example of why this pathetic argument doesn't work. So he was so developed that he should be taking the place of one of our five star one-and-done guys earlier this season, especially right. after the Texas Tech game. You know, Cam's struggling. You know, does Jack White get the start? But now, since he can't hit the broad side of a barn, he's underdeveloped by K somehow. You know, because he's gone 0 for 25, you know, starting with the Syracuse game, now all of a sudden mm-hmm. he is underdeveloped. And then they're saying, well, you know, they should draw up more plays so that when this happens, uh, they are ready and they're prepared and, uh, you know, you should be prepared for Zion or somebody goes down. Uh, explain to me exactly how that works. Explain right. what, we, what, what have we been doing all season long. 
And explain to me why you lauded Kay for saying that this season he embraces the role player more than ever. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how great of a role, you know, Jack White has played and, and Javin has played. And then how many times has he praised Bolden throughout the season about the Correct. role that he's played? But, but now you somewhat, somehow you want those role players that are there specifically to be role players mm-hmm. to be groomed for something in the case of an absolute disaster scenario. All right. Like, that doesn't even make a little bit of sense. Because <laughs> if you are, you're begging all off season, you're, you're pointing to all these other teams, well, you know, this team has those senior players that we never have because we're all in on this one and done uh, program. Well, we need to have at least some guys that buy into their role. Okay, well, we, we do have that. We got five guys on our bench that fit exactly what you're looking for. But yep. now because we lost and because Jack White has, you know, quote unquote, another word I hate, regress, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't do that somehow. Right. And then the players, you know, look, the, the players, those guys are not capable of being superstar players. That's why they are role players. And to be fair to those players, they were never brought in to be anything other than the role player. Correct. So, the, <laughs> I mean, you've been begging for K to bring in those role players. He does, and now it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, you, know you, you bring back, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Jordan Tucker, you know, who transferred after one semester. You know, we miss out on uh, a five-star guy, and Jordan Tucker's sitting out there, a four-star shooter that, you know, is begging begging on his hands and knees for a Duke offer. That's not hyperbole. He's mm-hmm. begging for a Duke offer. He gets the Duke offer. He has a pathetic workout program off-season performance. Mm-hmm. He gets beat out by Alex O'Connell. He doesn't show up to classes and gets suspended before the season. Mm-hmm. And then he decides he's going to quit after one semester at his dream school that he failed to get an uh, offer from. Mm-hmm. So it's not as simple as, oh, well, look at Luke May. You know, he was, you know, a three-star guy, and now he had 33 <laughs> and 15. Like that to me is, yeah, well, first of all, you're discrediting the work that fucking Luke May put in to be right. in a position to, to be what he is. Yep. You're discrediting the hard work that your own coaching staff has put in. Do you think that because Jack White went on a tear and was the highest performer in those off-season shooting drills where he famously went 89 for 100 from three. Now, that was clearly that was clearly either one of two things. Either he got developed or Jack White just put in the work. Maybe it's a combination of both. But mm-hmm. now that Jack White has zero confidence because he somehow let that Syracuse performance linger through the rest of his uh, season so far, the last month, now all of a sudden he's not developed. And what about Alex O'Connell? Well, what about him? You know, we all know Alex can shoot. Right. Do you really believe? And this is I, I'm, where I'm going to take a break myself and let you in on this. Well, you know, Alex O'Connell. You know, when they talk about, oh, well, he just needs a couple plays drawn up for him, or or he just needs a few more minutes. At the expense of what? And what exactly is that going to do? Go ahead. Right. Right. Because because what 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 is what what are three extra minutes really going to do? Three extra minutes against Wake Forest, like he should have gotten those because because people say, why do we still have the starters in? Why 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 is Alex not in? Because right. we're blowing blowing Georgia Tech out. Why are the starters out out of the game and 
why why is Alex not in there getting groomed a little bit? Because it's not gonna do anything for him. Like that that game is not gonna do anything for him. Like the the time these guys need to build confidence is can can they earn time? Did they earn time in practice? Have they earned time in games to to get in during crunch time in in one of these in one of these higher profile games? Have they earned that? Because you look at it, no, they haven't necessarily. Alex O'Connell lately hasn't earned earned a spot on the floor because he won't get on the floor for a loose ball or he'll watch rebounds hit the ground right in front of him like he did multiple times against UNC. Like so so don't give me he needs to be on the floor more to 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 pop a couple more threes that he's not even hitting right now anyway. Like sorry, how, like how no, many like, more de- how many more developmental developmental minutes do Alex right. Javin and Jack need? Right. Like if they if they need if they if for whatever reason if they just need those minutes they're not the players that we're wanting them to be and f- fulfilling the roles that we so desperately need them to fulfill as fans like that that's just that's not who they are because practice is where you're gonna get that time like the guys the guys earn what they earn in practice like bottom line you get what you get in practice Jack White earned what he got in practice bottom line he earned what he got in practice and then he earned it in Canada with how he played and with how Quis did not play. So that, that's and, a huge that's, factor of it that's too. Actually, that that whole workout program and and being leaders. That's why Javin and Jack were named captains in the off season. Correct. Correct. And, and so so there it is. Like his regression is not development because we were talking already in November and December, which is you know the worst time to talk about basketball, really. But in November and December, people were talking about man, Jack White can make it in the pros. Is anybody saying that now? Like, is, is anybody truly saying that right now that Jack White can make it in the pros? No, they're not. Because he's not hitting the shots. Bottom line, he's not hitting his shots. And, and, he's, and not even, he's not even taking them. With and, right, he's not he's taking them, him, and he's not engaged. Right, he's not as engaged as he was against Kentucky. Like, against Kentucky, he was, he was so engaged. He was so – and then after Kentucky, even after that, he was just on a hot streak. And I really, quite honestly, like I really hated seeing it happen then because I'm like, man, this is what we need from him in March and February. But and now we now we're seeing what Jack we have in February. So hopefully, you know, the next couple of games he can get out of whatever it is he he's in. Like I, I really hope that he can, because you know, the the, the and in, and in February the development argument is tired because now we're in February. Like this, yeah. it it is it is now February. It is now the time when most coaches, not just K, people blame K all the time for stuff like this, but not just K. Most coaches at this point have come up with who's going to have minutes and what minutes they're going to get, and they've determined their rotation and everything else. And like so, it's it's just it's it's really just it's it's again it's another one of those disingenuous arguments to just. I can't come up with anything else, so I'm just gonna say that the players aren't developed because that makes right. sense to me. Because because why can we not have four star guys like everybody else, and and our and our four star guys are getting ten and eleven and twelve minutes a game and not scoring, whereas somebody else's four star guys are leading leading all American candidates. You know why? Because Duke brings in five and six five star guys over top of those four star guys where nobody else is doing that. That's why. It's not, it's, One of those guys is supposed to play over the five star guy. Give me a break. But and if they are, they're going to earn their way there. You know what you sign up for here. Right. And Jack, in the first two months of the season, proved that he belonged on the court. 
Right. We had an entire segment talking about whether Jack should be a starter or not. Absolutely. And that alone And it was warranted. That's the thing about it, too. It was warranted. It absolutely was. And that's why I'm saying it's disingenuous to the work that the player has put in. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it Coach K's fault that, that – or, or Shire's fault or, you know, Nate James or Nolan Smith or Parowell during the offseason working with their guys that Jordan Goldwire can't hit a jumper? That's mm-hmm. not – I mean, how many jumpers do you need to tap? I'm, I'm confident that Jordan Goldwire is working on his game in the offseason. Absolutely. You know, it, it is what it is. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up with, with my next example, with, with, which is Cleese. Mm-hmm. You know, until we lost to Carolina, you know, he had a, a relatively, you know, kind of uh, up and down season where it, it wasn't uh, something that you could consistently believe in until mm-hmm. the ACC season really started and, and Cleese kept rising. And how right. many times did we talk about on this podcast how great is Cleese? How, you know, how many times has he, you know, shown what staying the course, you know, running your own race is all about than the way he's playing right now. And all of a sudden, we lose to Carolina. He plays like 18 minutes, and it just wasn't a good fit for him at that point. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't playing great, and, and um, you know, that's fine. But, you know, Cleese is a guy that debunks that entire argument. Mm-hmm. He he has progressed as the season has gone on. He's showing more confidence, and you know he he's not injured. You know, knock on right. wood. He is playing the way we are hoping that he can continue to go. So you know, sometimes it, it happens. You lose the best player in the country the first thirty seconds of the game, and you know the game plan goes out the window, fellows. It's not because you know so and so wasn't developed, and and Luke May. You know, you know, was just the greatest masterpiece, the Mona Lisa of Roy Williams. That's 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 disingenuous. It's, it's not the way it actually is. Right. And you know, you're, you're you're doing a disservice to the player. You're doing a disservice to the coaching staff in the off season that works with these guys every single day. And it's tired. I'm sick and tired of having the argument. It is what it is. Do you have any more hot takes for us? The only, the only, I did, I did, but I, I, I would like to end on the one we just ended on. The only other one I'll touch. Actually, I won't even touch on it. I want to use this into our next because it, it segues into our next segment very nicely. It is. I'm just going to mention it and then we'll move on. It is the the pundits and I. I am guilty of it during the game and I apologize for saying it because when we saw Zion go down and then everybody was speculating on what the injury was, I tweeted that feels like a season ender. And and the pundits have done their job, and they have now moved on to without Zion Williamson, this Duke team can't, cannot, not not possibly can't, not oh they'll be more, they'll be a little easier to beat in the NCAA tournament. This Duke team cannot advance out of the first weekend of the tournament without Zion Williamson. Ready yeah, go. Yeah, I, I heard uh, Jason Williams after the Carolina game sitting on Cameron's floor saying that at best they uh, they're a Sweet 16 team. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, let's get our predictions down for um, Syracuse, a game that is going to have a lot to be talked about, uh, yeah. unfortunately, all negative. Um, but we have Syracuse at 6 o'clock on Saturday when this podcast will be released. And then on Tuesday night, we have Virginia Tech, uh, your Virginia Tech Hokies. And if you don't want to make a pick for that, that's fine, uh, <laughs> up, uh, up in Blacksburg. But, you know, let's talk about the, the Syracuse game real quickly. What do we do with the zone with Zion out? We put RJ in the middle. 
we put Queese in the middle. If que- if Queese is if Queese is having a good defensive game, we put Queese in the middle. What we really need to do is is shut down the runouts they had down the middle of the lane. What we really need to do is shut down their driving angles that they created against us. Those are things we need to do. And what we need to not do is shoot 43 threes because we still put up 91 points against Syracuse. So losing Trey, losing Cam, still put up 91. Gave them 95. That's the problem. Like uh, Syracuse, they they don't score. Like when they scored 95, they were like, wow, we scored 95. (laughs) What? Like they, they were surprised that they scored so much. Like that, that team is so horrid offensively this season. It's unreal, and it it, it sh- that should not be possible. They score ninety five on on a Duke team that is top ten in just about every defensive category that you can name. So, what what needs to not happen this next game against Syracuse is the defense needs to not let up, and it happened at UNC, but that's you know game plan fail. So Duke has now had a, a you know three days of practice. And but you know there's travel associated with that to be able to come up with what are we going to do against this team and I'm sure you know I, I'm sure that there's something in place and it, we're not going to see the same team we saw against UNC because it's it's not going to be a surprise at this point if there's no Zion we know that the team has practiced for no Zion now so that that that's you know and if he plays congratulations he plays but I don't think he's going to play but you know this this team you know they 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 have a system in place and. They know what to do without him now. It's just a matter of going out and executing it. So right. I, I, I think we come out of the Carrier Dome with a win, and I think we come out of the Carrier Dome with a win somewhere to the tune of seventy-seven to sixty. Yes, I mean that's pretty, pretty close. To, wow, seventy-seven to sixty. Yes, sir. Wow. I, okay, that's that's a little much. Take it easy. Um, <laughs> I, I All think right. That, All right. I, th- I think. Yeah. I mean, I. It's going to be interesting to see what he does with his own. Obviously, Zion is not playing tomorrow or Saturday. We, we know mm-hmm. that for a fact now. Um, he's not going to be playing. We don't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen uh, with Virginia Tech. I would imagine that he doesn't play there. He doesn't play that game. You know, I, I, I wouldn't think that he would, um, but we don't know that for a fact. <clears throat> but you know, in the Syracuse game, I think it's going to be a, a slower-paced game. I think that the number one thing we have to do is, like you said, defensively, we have to get back to Rick Giannis into a top 10 Ken Palm defensive rating the entire season. We've gotten away from that the last few games. It wasn't just the Carolina game. It happened against Louisville. Uh, it happened against NC State. We have to get back to, you know, there were so many times in that Carolina game specifically where you overextend, go in for a steal, you miss, and then they have a wide open layup or a mm-hmm. wide open jumper from 10 feet. We or have to follow. stop doing that. Or a yeah. follow. Or a lob. Easily. You know, there's so many things that gave them easy, easy baskets. We have to be more fundamentally sound. We have to say, okay, you know, you, you've shown that you're, you're willing to try to go get that steal, but you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. So you need to be smarter about what you're doing. And these aren't, you know, this isn't Cam and RJ and Trey doing this. This is Javin, Alex, Jack, those players that need to be smarter. You've been here. So I think that it's a lower scoring game uh, for for Duke. Uh, I have a few more points for Syracuse, but I'm going to take the 74 to 70, a Duke okay. win. And then we go up to Blacksburg, and I'll just go ahead and start this one off. I'll <laughs> let you have the floor. I'm going to take Duke 77-74, but this this game does scare me. It does, and it's we. I I, I won't go into the 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 Virginia Tech soliloquy anymore because we did it on another podcast. You can't. 
this team cannot go into Blacksburg, you know, with, with the mindset of, of shooting 30, 30 late clock threes. Like if they're going to shoot, it needs to be similar to the UVA game plan where they're shooting confident early shot clock threes. Like it's not a place, it's not a forgiving shooting place. And, and what the one thing Virginia tech struggles with is, is, is kind of dealing with teams that, that play well in the interior. And this Duke team is so good on the interior Zion or not, he won't play that game Zion or not. This team is still really efficient on the inside. And because of how they, especially because of how the offensive rebound, and that's the one thing Virginia Tech can't do because they don't have big guys. Their guards, God bless them, really do come after after the the rebounds really hard. But they they just you know they they can't get them. They can't always get them. They're not gonna always get them. They're a little undersized in certain positions. So they shoot threes really well. So Tech Duke has to limit the three point shots Tech gets if they want to win, and they have to not settle for outside shots so easily against that team because that that's something that would play into their hand. Especially in that arena, so the Tech fans are going to be they're they're going to be super hyped for this game, much like Florida State. It's going to be the biggest game in Blacksburg, Zion or not, and the Tech fans are going to come ready for it. And I know how well Duke plays on the road. I still think you know Duke Duke is the bet they are the better team out out of Virginia Tech, and it's it's a tough game to win, but because of what they do as strengths, I think Tech can win it. So I'm I'm going to say Tech's going to win it. Or sorry, Duke is gonna win it. Um, let's go. Let's go. Seven. I, I don't want to give a score. I think Duke can win this game if they do what they're supposed to do, because because of the the talent discrepancy. I, I do think Duke can win this game. Nikhil Alexander Walker is a really good player. Kerry Blackshear is a really good player. I still think Duke is gonna win if they do what they're supposed to do. Fair enough. All right, no score for for the first time on the podcast. But let's switch gears. It's hard to do it. <laughs> let's switch gears, though, uh, to something a little bit more serious. Now, we normally end our podcast on what our predictions are for the upcoming games, but but this is bigger than this because when when we came into the Carolina game, we were twenty three and two. We were eleven and one, alone at the top of the ACC standings, the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. Vegas had us anywhere from. Uh, eight and a half to nine and a half to even 11 point favorites in that game. Mm-hmm. Zion last week swept all the awards ACC Rookie of the Year, ACC Player of the Year, nationally recognized. Mm-hmm. He was getting all the hype. CBS was doing specials with him and RJ this week. ESPN couldn't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Tickets were going for $10,000 at the highest level of this thing, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. And as quickly as all of that success came, one wrong landing, and it disappeared just like that. So I want everyone to listen very closely to me. Over the next six weeks, Coach K will redesign this squad. They will rebuild themselves. And on April 8th, they will reclaim the national title. So whether it's Gonzaga, whether it's Tennessee, Carolina, or anybody else, you keep that number one ranking warm because Duke will return and take back what is ours. Go ahead. Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, he, he's going to retool this team and, and Zion being out is we're going to be able to look back hindsight 2020 and say, this is a blessing in disguise. He's, he's going to be able to look back and now take a hard look at some of the ills that this team has that Zion helps make up for. 
and he's going to be able to correct that because as much as we say it and as much as everybody else says that he's he's the greatest of all time so i don't want to keep hearing that this duke team isn't going to make it out of the first weekend without zion if he's not available for that which he i think he will absolutely be available for the tournament it, it, they are going to be just fine because we still have we still have cam reddish we still have rj barrett we still have trey jones jack white still has a chance to make things right Javin Delorier still has a chance to hustle and do what he does. Quise has a chance to do what he does. This team is just fine. They are going to be able to work on some things. And, and now the next couple of weeks are all about let's figure out what we are doing as a team. And it's, it's the perfect time to be able to do it because now you get to do it going into the tournament with not much tape. So now teams can't say, oh, well, we have a, a bunch of tape to be able to look at this pattern. Like this is the perfect time for this to happen, just like it happened with Boozer, just like it's happened in the past before. Like this is this it it this Duke team is on the way to glory because we have the most talent in the nation with without Zion. We have it. Like it's there. Like so so stop it. Stop it. Stop it with this the season's over stuff. First and foremost, Zion is more than likely coming back. Second and if he doesn't, this Duke's team still has what it takes. Because they still have the greatest of all time. They still have RJ Barrett. They still have Cam Reddish. They still have Trey Jones. They still have all the tools needed. They have interior. They have guys on the outside. They have what they need. The, bottom line, either get on the train or get off. Because we don't need you. Okay? You know, we don't need we don't need the fan saying that this Duke team has so many problems and they're not gonna make it. We don't need you. All right, K doesn't need you. The rest of the team doesn't need you. And the other fans that believe don't need you. Belief is a huge part of success. So if you don't want to believe, then get off the train. And, and you can sit in your corner on national championship night and watch this Duke team roll to the title and, and lift the trophy up. Because that's what's about to happen. Because we have the greatest of all time. We have the greatest of all time behind the bench. He knows exactly what he's doing, and you don't. So sit back, shut up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. We didn't need the Fairweather fans to get the number one team. Nope. And we don't need you to get it back because nope. y'all weren't there when this team was working night after night after night after night to put in the hard work that goes into a title race. So whether you, you love us or hate us, it doesn't matter. We're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's the title. And that's what we will get on April 8th, go Duke. Go Duke.